0: here.
1: Welcome to the Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can and truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg.
2: This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Josh Centers. He's managing editor for Tidbits. That's at tidbits.com. That's a publication, of course, that's run by Adam and Tanya Ingst. We'll also hear from Kirk McElhern. He is the iTunes guy for Macworld, also an audiophile, and we'll be talking about all sorts of stuff. But before we get started with anything serious, maybe this is not going to be a serious comment. As many of you know, we have another radio show called The Paracast. And it's about UFOs, things that go bump in the night. In other words, the paranormal. And there is a phenomenon in the paranormal realm, which is called remote viewing. Josh, ever hear of remote viewing?
3: Yeah, the, didn't the uh, military experiment with that in the what, 50s or 60s? You got it. And what
2: this means is somebody can sit in a room, say, Mm -hmm. and try to envision his or her mind what is going on hundreds or thousands of miles away. Now, the intention of the military was to use this for spying. So, for example, during the Cold War, why spy on the Soviet Union when instead of risking the lives of spies, you can have them sit in a room and see what's going on? And you think about that because there's a TV show now called The Americans, where in supposedly during the Cold War, they embed Russians in this country who are brought up as Americans. Ever see that show?
3: No, I'm afraid I haven't. The
2: Americans.
3: It's good. It
2: is an excellent show. And the star of the show is Kerry Russell, whom you might remember from a TV show called Felicity. Which is why the first shows that J.J. Abrams, that guy who was doing the next Star Wars film, mm-hmm. first shows he did. He brought, of course, Alias and Fringe and 10,000 other shows. Anyway, so remote viewing. So I put up a thread in the forums on the PowerCast suggesting, okay, if people can really do remote viewing, why not send somebody mentally into Apple's headquarters to see what they're developing? What do you think of that?
3: Well, I mean, it's worth a shot, right? I mean, these are are unpaid volunteers, right? So, I mean, you know, you're not losing anything by trying, right?
2: Well, you have to think here. If we actually brought this person on the show, maybe bring them on the PowerCast, and -hmm. they say, well, when I went to Apple, I saw this, I saw that. Now, would they be infringing on Apple's intellectual property rights to reveal that? Could Apple sue us or sue my network? Mm. Isn't that wacky?
3: I would I would ask your lawyer. I, th- do you have a paranormal attorney?
2: I don't know. I think we do have one attorney yeah. with whom we're in contact. He's actually a personal injury lawyer who is interested in the paranormal. Maybe he's trying to do remote viewing to see what's going on. I have no idea. I have to ask him.
3: Yeah. I, I got a guy, and uh, he's great. We had a haunting, and he uh, issued a restraining order against the ghost. Totally got rid of him. Real pro. I'll, I'll give you his card after the show. Excuse
2: me? A restraining order against the ghost?
3: Yeah, yeah. You, know. you mean
2: other than saying get the heck
3: out of here? Well, we already tried that. We already tried that. You know, they, they, they wouldn't move. All
2: right. Who are you going to call Ghostbusters, but one of the Ghostbusters is dead, Harold Ramis. How are you going to call Ghostbusters anymore?
3: Uh, you, you called Harold Fitz, paranormal attorney. He'll he'll issue a restraining order and uh, and get them out.
2: All right. We'll talk about that after the show. Let's get on to something that may or may not be more serious. <laughs> Okay. That's Microsoft. So Microsoft has been doing its level best to push upon us Windows Phone. And very few people are buying. So they have something now called Windows Phone 8.1. And of course, the problem is here is that Windows Phone is maybe a couple of years behind Android and iOS. So in the next Windows Phone, you're going to have something called Cortana. Ever hear of Cortana?
3: Cortana. Uh, I'm, I've uh, played some Halo games, so I'm familiar with the character.
2: Okay, Cortana is a voice in Halo, and she will be a personal digital assistant who will be Microsoft's answer to Siri. Can you get this? Can you dig it?
3: <laughs> it's an interesting branding choice, right? Because you know, with Windows Phone, they're trying to, I guess, move more toward the consumer. But at this point, you're, you're bringing, you know, like like a gamer thing into it. And I, I'm not sure if that's going to help or hurt. I think it's probably going to hurt them in the eyes of businesses, because they're going to see, you know, Windows Phone probably more as, oh, well, you know, they got that the video game character who, uh, <laughs> who uh, runs things on there. So, uh, you know, who uh, is the assistant on there. So, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a risky move. It's, it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, you know, they have this character. She's already established. I mean, in some ways, it's a logical choice. But again, it's a, it's a risky move on their part.
2: Same voice actor, of course. The other thing is here, they're going to have a feature called Action Center. What is Action Center? Well, take Notification Center and Control Center on iOS, combine it, and you get Action Center, which ends up then being very much the same as the Notification Center on Google. Is that original?
3: No, it's not. But at the same time, Apple's wasn't very original either when they sure. uh, redid that. I mean, they, they borrowed from Android and Palm. And, you know, and that's fine. You know, that's how technology advances. And, you know, for people who use Windows Phone, I'm, I'm glad they're getting something uh, that'll work a little better.
2: Well, the other aspect is that Microsoft is changing the licensing scheme for versions of Windows on screens smaller than nine inches. So for small tablets and smartphones... To get a Windows phone license, instead of paying a fee to Microsoft, it'll be free like Android. Mm-hmm. You heard about this?
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what the what the business model, if there is one, is there. I mean, are they just giving every, everything away for free? Or is it like Android where they give the base OS away for free? But if you want mm, like Microsoft services, you have to pay extra for those.
2: Well, I don't think so. I think it's going to be free. There will be licensing. It's not going to be open source. Microsoft is not no. going to open source Windows. They'll give it away, and this is in keeping with something they decided to do recently, which is to cut the price of Windows OEM licensing for cheap PCs. Mm-hmm. So the company that makes the cheap PC, like the $300 PC, they shouldn't have to pay $40 or $50 for a Windows license. Maybe they'll pay just 15 Now, I understand Microsoft's Difficulty here in their dilemma, which is to get people to buy Windows computers. If you can cut the price, you sell more product. At the end of the day, Microsoft gains. How so? Well, say, for example, Windows Phone takes off. Mm -hmm. Microsoft gets a cut from app sales, they get money from Bing searches. So I presume they figure they'll make it up in other ways by cutting the licensing fees. But some of us have another word for it, actually, a phrase. And that phrase is fire sale
3: or desperation. It it seems to me like Microsoft, their new CEO, Satya Nadella, is uh, kind of struggling to keep Windows, the Windows brand name relevant. And this is, you know, this is one easy way to do it. But, you know, I'm not sure if, if it being free is going to help. I mean, like, you know, Palm OS is free and no one uses that, right? I think they've put it on TVs. Well, you know, there you go. But it's not, <laughs> you're not going to buy a Palm phone, I don't think, uh, as far as I know.
2: Well, you can't buy a Palm phone, but you also have to look at it this way. Would you buy a TV because it's powered by Palm OS or Android or anything? You don't look at that. You buy a TV because it's got, oh, it's got a 55-inch screen, and it has a beautiful LCD picture. So why would you at all be interested in buying it because it has Android or Palm OS or the Flavin OS? The Flavin OS is really good. (laughs) Let's talk about Microsoft further. Sure. So last week in San Francisco, they had the Macworld Expo, which is called iWorld. Mm. Macworld now. We'll talk to Josh a bit more about that in our next segment because he was there. And was. He can give was. Oh, he can give us some insights. But in the meantime, Satya Nadella was there largely to introduce Office for the iPad. How about that? Yeah, so the before they come before they come up with a touch-sensitive version of office for windows they introduce it for the ipad and there's an interesting way this is marketed it's free or freemium and we'll explain that in a moment josh centers of course comes from tidbits at tidbits.com i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night alive live Legendary to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com.
5: Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the re-emergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you You must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237.
7: There's no reason to be sick this season with Supernatural Silver's incredible technology. You can give your immune system the support it needs to help fight off colds, flus, and other nasty pathogens that can ruin the holidays for you and those you love. Used internally or topically, Supernatural Silver is a great defense against sore throats, runny noses, sinus, or ear infections, and a whole host of other illnesses. Supernatural Silver is extremely safe and a great way to protect yourself and the ones you love. No one knows what the future may bring, so be smart and plan ahead. Have Supernatural Silver in your emergency preparedness arsenal and give someone a gift that's meaningful, a gift that can change lives. Give the gift of good health this year. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com and use the promo code SILVER2013 for 20% off your entire order. That's SupernaturalSilver.com and like us on Facebook
2: Here on the Tech Night Out Live, Josh Centers is joining us, and we're talking about Office for iOS. Now, there were rumors here that Microsoft was working on this for a while, but Steve Ballmer said no. So now they decided to do it, an example, perhaps, of the new CEO showing his independence despite being watched over by Bill Gates. What can you tell us about Office for the iPad?
3: Well, one of our external writers, Julio Ojeda Zapata, who he writes for a, um, a newspaper in Minnesota, he's actually um, – we're about to actually have to get off uh, here with you. I will post his review of it. And it's mostly positive, but, there, I mean, there are some quirks, right? Like, um, for instance, Excel – the version of Excel for iPad doesn't handle pivot tables, which most people won't care about, but um, people in certain fields certainly will. There's no printing support, which is strange, though there are um, some workarounds for that that we tell you about in the article. The touch targets are a little small, but otherwise, you know, it it works pretty well. And if uh, you're in the business world and you know you have needed Office on your iPad for all, I know plenty of people who who have needed it. Um, yeah, this is for you. And of course, it's subscription based, right? It's like, as you said, it's freemium. The app is free. You can view documents with them, with them, uh, but you cannot edit I- anything unless you pay for um, Office uh, Live, 365, uh, whatever they call it nowadays, which um, they sell for uh, ninety nine dollars a year inside the app. But if you go to Amazon, I think it's like $67. So you can save a little money. You can also get like a monthly subscription, I think for like 10 bucks a month. But you know, if you know you're going to use it, then uh, Amazon's probably the way to go. The
2: key here being that if it's just $100 for the apps, three apps, Office, Excel, and PowerPoint, it makes sense. But with a subscription, the Office 365 subscription, you're paying for this for the rest of your life. Now, the advantage is that The license, this is the home premium license he's talking about, the $100 a year license or the $60 a year at Amazon. Home premium means you get five licenses, Mac or PC versions of Office, and five tablets being either Windows or iPad. So that's pretty cool. And I expect some small business people will cheat, buy home premium, (laughs) and make sure all their friends get the licenses. That makes sense. It may not make sense just for Office for the iPad, But if you have Office for any other platform, the price can become cheap even though it's $100 a year. Remember, you're getting the updates. You're getting 20 gigs of space on OneDrive, which is Microsoft's answer to iCloud, plus 60 minutes of Skype calling time as part of the package. So I think that kind of makes sense.
3: It's not a terrible deal. I mean, and and I think all the, the major enterprise software, Adobe's already moving in this direction, but you know all the, the big name enterprise software is going to move towards subscriptions. And it's part of how they're differentiating themselves from consumer software, right? I mean, although you know there is a really uh, good deal, if you're a student, you can get Office 365 for like, I think it's like uh, 60, 70 bucks for four years. So um, that's a really great deal if uh, you're, you're a student in college right now. But, so I should go back to school? You should, totally, yeah. Enroll, and then you can get your cheap office and drop all your classes.
2: Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, I had to pay for the classes. Unless I find some kind of free institution.
3: Oh, there you go, there you go.
2: All right, or go to an institution, which is some people are suggesting about me. (laughs) Okay, so the thing here, of course, to consider is that Apple continues to update iWork for Mac, Mm -hmm. for iCloud, for iOS. And the latest version of iWork offers improved Office compatibility. That's cool. Improved Office compatibility. And what this means is if you have to translate documents, it's more important. Now, one of the features shared in Office and iWork under Pages and Word is Track Changes. And if you do writing, editors and publishers use Track Changes to track the progress of the various people in working on some kind of manuscript. So that makes sense. Okay, so we're seeing here that that seems to make sense. But the question here is, iWork is free if you buy a new Mac, iPad, or iPhone. If you own the previous version, it's a free update. If you decide to buy it, you have no existing license, no new equipment, it's, what, $20 each. But that's a one-time fee. It'll be updated for the rest of your life. You'll never pay again. So I think the big argument here is, unless you need Office... Unless you need every single formatting feature to be perfectly compatible, why not just use iWork?
3: Well, and I think for home users, uh, for home Apple users, I think iWork is superior. I mean, I, I love Office. You know, I worked in an office uh, office environment for several years, where you know when you need to do the heavy duty stuff, nothing beats Excel. But for um, you know common household spreadsheets, in uh, Numbers is is awesome. It's very friendly. Um, It it has a lot of great graphical capabilities that Excel doesn't quite have, which are useful for home users. Um, Pages, in addition to being a pretty decent word processor, is also a nice uh, page layout app. And creates some very nice uh, looking um, public little publications and flyers and things. Um, and I think you know, PowerPoint pales in comparison to Keynote for presentations, especially if you present from an iPad or an iPhone. The um, you know PowerPoint for uh, iPad, as far as uh, Julio could tell, just wasn't as good. Like for instance, if you have Keynote and you AirPlay mirror your screen to an Apple TV, or you plug in a like a VGA adapter or something like that. Then you know you get a great presentation on the screen, and then on the phone you get controls and you get a timer and all kinds of nice stuff. Plus, it hides you know on the screen it hides all the all the user interface, Chrome, and all that. Well, PowerPoint does not have that. It it just you know you have to use the AirPlay mirroring or, or um, the you know mirroring through the cable, and it looks um, looks just like it does on the screen. So you get nothing special there. I don't know if that's an Apple exclusive or Microsoft just didn't, uh, you know, feel it was a priority. But, yeah, if you're primarily an Apple person and you don't have to work in a corporate, you know, Microsoft-heavy corporate environment, you don't have any reason to buy Office. Unless you just, you know, you absolutely have to have perfect compatibility. But, yeah, I work. And even Google Docs uh, for collaborative stuff, I think, is um, a much better solution and cheaper.
2: Obviously cheaper. Anyway, Microsoft reported... 12 million downloads of the free Office. I don't know if they count each app separately or the combination, whatever. 12 million sounds good. The key is here is how many new Office 365 licenses do they sell? If they sold 10 or 12 million at $100 a year, that's a lot of
3: money. I checked it earlier. I'm trying to open the iTunes store now, but I believe it's one of the um the office apps or some of the top gro- grossing apps in the app store right now. So I think they're doing very well for Microsoft and you know, a, a lot of people try to say, "Oh, well, you know, people don't care about, you know, people don't care about Office." But yeah, okay, so top grossing right here, number 10 is Microsoft Word for iPad. So, you know, clash of <laughs> uh can't keep up with Clash of Clans, which is number 1, but there's still, you know, uh Excel's number 20 um I don't see PowerPoint in here. Oh, PowerPoint's number 53. So, um, you know, uh, maybe not huge, huge successes, but I still think uh, this is a successful initiative for Microsoft. And it needed to happen uh, to keep uh, Windows and Office relevant.
2: We'll be relevant right here, because this is the Tech Night Out Live, and we're talking to Josh Center's managing editor for Tidbits at tidbits.com. More to come.
9: Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN.
10: It's hard to imagine, when things are going reasonably well, just how quickly things can change. But what would it take? Economic collapse? Massive crop failure? Chemical or biological attack? So many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty. There's nothing. Don't let that happen. Act today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit freezedryguy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze dried foods from the Freeze Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit freezedryguy.com or call toll-free-866- Freezedryguy.com.
13: There are many things the human body can do very well, but maintaining the proper pH level isn't always one of them. That's where AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops can make a world of difference. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps your body do what's natural. Just a few drops a day helps rid your body of harmful waste and acid while promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Alkalizing boosts your immune system and can help fight headaches, irritability, cramping, and insomnia. Alkalizing also helps the body fight depression and even bone loss. To learn more about the importance of alkalizing and how you can find life-changing and vital balance, please visit AlkaVision's brand new website at AlkaVision.com. Same great products, but now easier to use and more informative than ever before. To get your very own plasma pH drops for just $29.95, call 800-518-7615 or visit AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Alkalize your body and supercharge your health at the new AlkaVision.com.
14: Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
2: Here in the Tech Night Owl live, we have Josh Centers from Tidbits at tidbits.com. Of course, they also have Take Control books. We're talking about the arrival of Office on the iPad. Now, when you give these figures of grossing, understand that regardless of where you buy your Office 365 subscription, whether it's Word, Excel, or PowerPoint, in the end, it's the same thing because it's a license covering all of them. So when you report top grossing, you're basically saying here, Josh, set, most people who do the in-app purchase are doing it through Word. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? That,
3: that, that seems to be the case. Of course, some people may have existing subscriptions directly from Microsoft. Some people may be going the Amazon route, which is what I would do if I were going to buy this. The, the top grossing list isn't necessarily indicative. In, in, in fact, it would be better for Microsoft if people bought it directly from them, right? Because uh, otherwise, you know, you buy it through the app. Uh, they're giving Apple thirty percent, which is surprising. I, I'm I'm actually surprised they're even offering that. Um, so that's very progressive on Microsoft's part. Yeah, but it, these seem to be selling, you know, pretty well. The subscriptions do.
2: I think we'll have to see over time what kind of revenue Microsoft books from this. But they're saying a couple of billion dollars, and Microsoft can use the revenue, especially now they're giving away Windows free on some platforms. So this sounds like a win for Microsoft if the sales continue after the first week. You know, we have the early adopters waiting to get it. But if month after month people are buying those Office 365 licenses, which is what this is all about, if they're buying those licenses, then Microsoft has a winner on their hands.
3: Well, I think they're definitely moving in the right direction. You know, Balmer was so focused on Windows and making everything for Windows. And Nadella, the, the thing he understands, you know, is that Windows isn't the core of Microsoft. The core of Microsoft is uh, producing software people want and on the platforms they want. You know, one of, you know, one of the first big developers for the Mac was Microsoft. Microsoft Word and Excel were originally Macintosh applications. And that's important to keep in mind. Um, y- you know, Windows, Windows d- days may be numbered. Who knows? But it's, it's up to them to keep themselves relevant no matter what platform people want to use.
2: The key at the end of the day is let's sell user licenses, okay?
3: Mm-hmm. And so, subscriptions.
2: Right. You know, if we sell user licenses, if we sell subscriptions, then it doesn't much matter what platform it's on the key is that we sell product and that's mm-hmm. it from the beginning and end of the day sell product
3: yep that's it that's it exactly and uh people seem to be going war- up to the subscription model and and that's great you know accountants love that because that means you know steady consistent predictable income and and that's what you want when you're running a business
2: all right there you go ios office get a copy and try it out and look it's free to download You don't have to get the subscription unless you want to create or edit documents. And if you already have an Office 365 subscription, well, might as well give it a go. We'll see. Let's move on to the iWorld Macworld. Now, a lot of you probably haven't heard about what iWorld Macworld is, but I guess you're kind of picking up the pieces of Macworld because several years ago, Apple decided not to do the show anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And some people said, well, it's not going to work for IDC. That's the company, by the way, that owns Macworld magazine. They suggested it wasn't going to work because when they pulled out of the event in Boston, Apple, they closed that one. They couldn't get enough people. So we've had iWorld, Macworld for several years. How was the attendance this year?
3: Well, it was my first one. So it was hard for me to gauge, but you know, and people around me said, well, it's kind of... Kind of you know slower than it used to be, but first day you know we we're, were trying to get around the show floor. Uh, Adam and Tanya and uh, Michael Cohen and myself. I mean, it was uh, elbow to elbow. It was packed. Of, of course, it, mo- it used to be a much larger event. This year it was just in Moscone North, and, and uh, you know in the past it took up uh, I think North and South both when Apple was doing it. But still, it was a very packed event. A Ton of people um, met a lot of great people. Um, you know, the, uh, the events were packed. I had, um, I, I did a panel on the NSA and, and that took a while for it to fill up, but, you know, by 15 minutes into it, the room was packed and it was standing room only. So, um, there's still a lot of attendance and I, I feel it's a very, still a very relevant show for the Apple community.
2: Let's talk about your participation. Sure. Okay. So you participated in two events. One is the pundit showdown. hmm Now, you said in your email to me about this. You almost won, almost won, almost won.
3: Tell me more. <laughs> okay, so um, it's a point system, right? So, so the thing is, uh, the, the moderator will ask uh, you know questions about Apple, and you have to kind of give a mix of smart and sarcastic answers, and he awards or detracts even uh, points away depending on your answer, right? So, you know, it kind of went back and forth, but it, it came down. Um, Susie Ox, I can't remember what she's what outlet she is from, but she's she was a, from
2: MacWorld now. But she oh, used yeah. to be editor in chief
3: of MacLife some years back. There you go. Okay. So, so uh, she she was ahead, and uh, she was really quick witted, and uh, it was uh, Andrew Lawrence and myself who were tied for second place. And so it came, came to the end. She she chose me to go up head to head against uh, for the final round. And uh, so we did, and it was it was like uh, I, I think the final answer is we had to defend the indefensible, and it was something about um, the the author of that the Haunted Empire book and, and why uh, Tim Cook should apologize to her. Uh, it, anyway, uh, then it comes da- it came down to an audience vote, and she just barely beat me out. So you know, um, of course, it's, it's like whose line, right? It doesn't matter about who wins. Uh, but you know, I feel like I had a strong showing, uh, represented tidbits well, and uh, had a lot of fun. Did you get a free dinner or something out of this one? No, just uh, just publicity.
2: <laughs> all yeah. right. Well, congratulations for being number two with a bullet.
3: <laughs> well, thank you.
2: All right. You also moderated a panel on the NSA. Mm-hmm. Now, understand that we deal heavily in paranoia because we have the other radio show. Yeah. The PowerCast. And, of course, there are these stories that the government knows about UFOs and they know about all these things going on. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, you moderated a panel on the NSA. We're going to be running out of time for this segment in a couple of minutes. Let's get started on this now. Tell me more.
3: Okay. So, the name of the panel was The NSA and You. And I had uh, several guests. I had um, Joe Kissel from uh, Tidbits and Take Control Sure. uh, and author of Take Control of Your Online Privacy, most importantly. Had Rich Mogul, who is the security editor at Tidbits and CEO of Securosis. Had Parker Higgins, who's an activist with the EFF had Kim Zetter, who writes uh, for Wired for Threat Level. And um, last but not least, I had Quinn Norton, who is an independent journalist who has been embedded with Anonymous and Occupy Wall Street. And she actually uh, recently visited the Office of the Director of National Intelligence for um, sort of a, I guess, a chat session. Uh, it was like uh, they wanted the input from the public, and she wrote about that in Medium. And so that, that's a very interesting read if you if you look that up. And, uh, you know, basically, uh, I prepared all kinds of stuff, but, you know, the answers were so deep and detailed. We had enough time for maybe five questions, and uh, it, it was a great discussion, a lot of uh, unique points of view, and a lot of very uh, well-informed and passionate points of view. And, um, you know, it's just sort of the basics, sort of, you know, why should you care? Um, you know, how has this affected our security? Um, what, sh- what can you do, if anything, to protect your privacy? And, you know, just sort of that thing.
2: All right, let's go into some of those viewpoints. First of all, what does Josh Centers think about this? (laughs) Now, understand here, the latest pronouncement from Obama is that they're going to cut back or do some of the NSA monitoring differently. Instead of keeping information on phone calls in the NSA computers, it's going to be supposedly kept in the hands of the phone companies until the government needs it.
3: Uh, well, I believe the limit's going to be eighteen months, which is what it already currently is. So um, it, that's actually a, a good thing, I think. If you know, actually, they actually keep their word on that, which I'm not so sure about. the um, The problem is though is that's just phone calls, and that's always been the focus, right? Anything said in the public, it's always phone calls. But we'll go not-
2: into part two of this okay. in our next segment with Josh Centers. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out live. <laughs>
9: free from the shackles of corporate america we're the place for independent thinkers g c n
16: We travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind.
6: Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets, but fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television.
17: As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window. And know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home.
6: Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet, just like a light on a timer.
16: And they're so easy to use, you just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs.
6: Fake TV is only $29.95 with free shipping. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5 Fake TV. Or go to fakeTV.com. That's 877 5 75325388 or fake tv.com fake tv the burglar deterrent
10: Hi, my name is DeRay, suffering from migraines, having Botox injections in my head and neck to alleviate pain, costing $1,500 out of my pocket. I discovered Dr. Ortman and gentle touch chiropractic adjustment called NUCCA. I'm migraine-free since my first adjustment. Thanks for giving me my life back, Dr. Ortman. I wish they prescribed you instead of Botox.
18: Thanks, DeRay. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the solution. We design a nutritional supplement program the body can handle, actually absorb, providing nutrients, targeting the problem area. Between NUCA and nutrition, we will have you on the road to a faster and more permanent recovery. Look us up on the web at drwortman.com or call 952-303-9124. Let us help you feel better faster. Wellspring Spinal Care at 952-303-9124. Again, that's 952-303-9124 or on the web at DrOrtMan.com.
14: Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
2: Here. On the Tech Night Out Live, Josh Centers joins us. We're talking about Macworld Expo, now called iWorld Macworld Expo, where he moderated a panel on the NSA. So we have only one issue here. The one that really got all the publicity was all about the NSA collecting records of what phone calls you made mm. and to whom you made them. Not the phone calls themselves, although some people think, you know what? Maybe, just maybe. They also have the records about the phone calls, the actual content. We don't know. So, what else should we consider? What are we forgetting about the NSA? Because we are so hung up on the phone calls.
3: Well, it, yeah. Anytime Obama speaks public, he always says, "We're not monitoring your phone calls. We'll stop monitoring your phone calls." What, but you know, what about email and uh, Skype, like we're talking on now? And what about iMessage? What about SMS? Those are the things. You know, they always try to push phone calls because I think most people who vote, you know, are mostly older people. That's what they're going to think of, right? Oh, no, my phone calls, you know, but um – of course, uh, those of us who are more technically inclined are like, wait a second. What about like Facebook messages and our uh, Twitter DMs and you know uh, all these ways, all these other ways we have communicating? I, I very rarely do phone calls anymore, partially because my cell reception is bad and we don't have a landline for many reasons, and um, you know also just because it's it's kind of outdated, right? I mean, uh, Skype or uh, FaceTime audio have much better call quality just in general. Plus, you can have video, you can record your call. There's all you know, all kinds of neat things there. So that's what that's what concerns me. I, I'm always afraid when they talk about NSA reforms that they're uh, kind of it's kind of smoke and mirrors, right? Like yes, we'll reform this one thing and make a big deal out of this, but hey, yeah, the rest of the stuff we'll we'll
2: keep doing. <laughs> so, can, whom do you trust? So we know they're reading my email now. Understand, my email is encrypted. The connection to my web server. So I have my own web server with my own mm-hmm. email system. Does that mean? That the data center is monitoring that, or doesn't it require, though, some kind of court order to retrieve information about my emails?
3: Well, and that's the problem, is that this uh, FISA court, their rulings, um, at least until recently, were totally secret. So it was impossible to know who was doing what. And also, there's also the problem of the NSA or these other agencies would just go and just do the stuff and then ask for permission later. And the FISA court, you know, from what we've seen, would be like, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's very bad. Here's your permission slip to do it anyway. So it's it's basically a secretive rubber stamp, right? And and we have these, um, you know, these secret orders and these secret courts. Court rulings. And that's really one of the most disturbing things is that um, there is law being made that we have no idea about. And we're not supposed to know about. And to me, that's not that's not what a democracy or even, you know, of course, we're not a democracy. We're a republic. But um, that's that's not what a republic is about. Right. That's uh, that's a little terrifying.
2: The thing that also concerns me here is after all these efforts and the money being spent to house these data centers and everything, are they really protecting people against who knows what?
3: They don't seem to be, do they? I mean, just uh, the other day there was another yet another shooting at uh, a military base. I'm a practical guy, Gene, and, you know, yeah, I believe in the Constitution and stuff, but I always try to look at things from a practical perspective because you know, whenever I come across people who disagree with me, that's always the common ground you can find, right? For me, it seems like it makes us less safe because what happens when this stuff leaks. But then, on the other hand, it doesn't seem like they're stopping anything. There's like almost daily, you know, mass shootings. There's uh, all these data breaches, like we saw at Target and Neiman Marcus. And I'm like, okay, if you guys are so good and you got all this information, why aren't you stopping any of this? It, you know, it seems like like I, I just want to ask, what are you collecting this data for? It, you're not protecting us. You know, I don't feel safe. I, I feel a little leery walking into a shopping mall. So I'm just like, well, what exactly are you guys doing? <laughs>
2: So I look at Target. I went to a Target today to buy something for the missus. Mm -hmm. And there's a sign there. If you feel you were impacted by this security breach, they'll give you a year of free credit monitoring. I feel safer now.
3: Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't the CEO of LifeLock, didn't he pull some kind of stunt where he posted his social security number in the New York Times but then he got his identity stolen like multiple, multiple times. It was just a total mess.
2: It was basically a publicity stunt. He probably figured, look, they can steal my identity, but they're not going to get any money out of it. I've protected myself. This is just something to get more subscriptions. Yeah,
3: and he, he probably has a bunch of gold bullion in a vault somewhere, so it doesn't matter. He stole his identity. He'll He'll be fine.
2: I don't think he puts the money in Bitcoin anymore. <laughs> I worry about Bitcoin. You know, we used to take donations for the site- Mm-hmm. in Bitcoin for about two weeks. And then they had this Japanese Bitcoin processor that went belly up because they lost $600 million worth of Bitcoin. I think they found half of it. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm not doing this.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Bitcoin thing, you'd have to ask Glenn Fleishman about that. thats I, I bought a little bit. I put like, I bought like 10 bucks worth from like a place and it gave me like 0.1 Bitcoin, which is probably worth like, Half of what it was when I bought it, and I never spin it. I don't quite know what to do with it. I just kind of wanted to play with it. I'm fascinated by the idea. I'm fascinated of the, by the idea of having an online currency that is self-regulating and kind of makes the government irrelevant in a way. I, I find that idea totally fascinating. I don't think Bitcoin will be the thing that really takes off, but I think the idea is there. Right. Like, I think the idea is there and it's not going to go away. And there's a serious demand for that. And we'll, uh, we'll just have to see what the future holds.
2: In the Star Trek universe, they have no money. I don't understand how Captain Kirk gets paid. <laughs> so we have to wait to the Star Trek universe <laughs> to figure out how to solve this problem with that. But right now, I think Bitcoin is not it. The IRS recognizes it as property, which is mm-hmm. really screwy. So I don't know that I want to really consider Bitcoin right now. I think that put the kibosh on the system until they can modify it, until they can make it safe. But Back to the NSA. Okay. Okay. So we understand wanting to protect ourselves against terrorist attacks. We don't know if it's really done that. They claim that some attacks were stopped that way. It didn't stop the Boston Marathon bombing, though.
3: No, they claim something like 54 attacks were stopped. Anyway, when the guy the guy currently in charge of the NSA, he's stepping down. When he was pressed on the issue and really pressed, it turned out there was only one case, and that was a cab driver who sent like eight grand to Somalia, which, whoa, boy, that was totally worth the effort and the expense and the you know loss of liberty. Right. So, no, the, uh, these haven't been effective. And as a matter of fact, the vast, vast majority of terrorism cases that have been brought to the court. Uh, Keith Alexander, I don't know how I forgot that. It's um, been a long week. Anyway, so um, he, uh, the vast majority of the cases they've actually brought to court were uh, brought there from old-fashioned police work, from old-fashioned detective methods. So, um, And, and uh, Edward Snowden argues, in fact, and I see, I see the reasoning in this, is that the mass surveillance actually makes – our intelligence community less effective because instead of looking at targeted stuff, they're looking at everything and it's a distraction. And based on the real world results, um, I would say that's probably true. I think they need to be looking at actual true threats instead of just, you know, gathering up everyone's sex and, and, uh, and everyone's uh, webcam pictures from Yahoo and, and God knows what else, you know, they need to be actually focusing on, on the threats.
2: Well, of course, that's sufficient, and if you want to be efficient, you have to look at the minimum necessary to get this done. But it's all back to the Patriot Act, and -hmm. we're getting into politics, folks, but it goes back to whether we should have even approved the Patriot Act, because did it actually accomplish what was intended? Because it was passed during the original paranoia over 9-11. You know, we're afraid of this, we're afraid of that, maybe if we did a few more things to protect ourselves, there won't be another 9-11 attack. Maybe some smaller attacks, but there won't be another 9-11 attack. So therefore, we have to do this. And everybody, I think, would just frightened into approving it. That's politics mm-hmm. for you. So the question here being, do you think that maybe even the Patriot Act was just too paranoid?
3: Well, the Patriot Act was drafted long before 9-11, and it was um, essentially a wish list from the FBI and, and other law enforcement agencies. And um, and it was passed uh, – if you re- if watch um, – it was one of the Michael Moore documentaries, but he talks to some of the people who passed it. And they said they did not read it. It was just put in front of them. It said Patriot Act, prevent terror. And so they said, yep, sure, whatever. And actually, uh, one of the people really who really pushed for it, uh, John uh, Sensenbrenner, I believe, is his name. Like he's actually fighting against it now because he thinks it has went way too far. Which, which was predictable. I actually wrote a college essay at the time describing how I thought it would be abused, and most of that came true. So, um, I you know I would be surprised. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriot Act wasn't renewed um, at some point because uh, I think there is enough. Uh, there are enough Congress people and uh, enough, po- enough popular outcry against it. You know, it, it stays maybe numbered.
2: We can only wish. We'll have more to say about this and other subjects with Josh Centers. From Tidbits, I'm Gene Steinberger and the Tech Night Out Live.
9: The nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
21: limited number of free programs available call now 1-888-912-1595 1-888-912-1595 that's 1-888-912-1595 1-888-912-1595 welcome back to the tech night owl live where you never know what's
8: going to happen next and now here's gene steinberg
2: Josh Sanders of Tidbits joining us. he's managing editor over there. We were talking about the panel he moderated on the n s a now during this session, anyone there say, "You know what? we approve this thoroughly
22: <laughs>
3: No, no. Probably the closest would be Rich Mogul, who actually does know some people in that business. But even he is is against this stuff. And you know, when I was first approached about this, um, Adam Inks, the publisher of Tidbits, was uh, helping me try to come up with people uh, for this. And he said, "You well, you really need someone who's pro NSA." And I looked far and wide. You know, I wanted to try to stick close to the Mac community, or at least inside the tech community. And it's very hard, very very hard. To find anyone who who even slightly supports this stuff, I mean, I guess I could have asked someone from the NSA, and they probably they probably would have said somebody. They've been very media happy lately, but I would also be afraid that would um, that would have had a uh, chilling effect in conversation, and I would also be afraid they kind of take the thing over, right? But you know, but I mean, hey, if anyone from the NSA is listening, and you, if I do another panel, you want somebody on it, and you'll be nice, then yeah, sure, I, I would love to hear the opposing side. And I do hear them uh, from tidbits readers uh, where we post one of our NSA updates. There's always one or two people who are very angry about them and uh, wish I would stop. And um, but uh, it's hard to find people who really think this is okay. And I think as time has went on and more things have been revealed and more attacks keep happening, I don't think I don't think most people approve of this at all because it doesn't seem to be working. And if anything, it just seems to be making the government more powerful at the expense of the rest of us.
2: That's the argument about our freedoms and how we give up our freedoms. Okay,
3: there you go. The NSA panel that he moderated for
2: the iWorld MacWorld Expo. Now this week, Apple is back in court with Samsung. Mm-hmm. Are you getting bored yet?
3: <laughs> I haven't followed it much. I've I, you know I, I follow uh, this one lady who who's in the courtroom and doing updates on it. And they apparently had a hard time finding jurors because you know everyone knows who Apple is. Everyone knows who Samsung is. Um Can yeah, you imagine a-, a juror? Think
2: about this, folks. A juror who was asked, do you know who Apple is? Oh, you mean that thing you eat? Do you know who <laughs> Samsung is? And they say, Sam, Sam who? <laughs> Samuel Jackson? What? I never Sam- heard of that.
3: Yeah. it well, And that's a tricky thing because you need people who can parse this stuff out, but anyone who can parse out has heard of both these companies. So it's tricky. I'm I'm not paying much attention until there's actually a verdict, until there's actually something tangible that actually causes something to happen in the real world. I mean, if there's something, let's say they have an injunction against somebody, but it stayed until, for um, you know for uh, you know for another court challenge, and I, I, we're not great, we at tidbits aren't going to care because it still doesn't affect anybody. You know, I mean, there's so much of this courtroom drama, and most of it doesn't mean very much to the typical computer user. And so, until it does, we don't pay much attention. We we kind of we kind of look at it in the rearview mirror. We kind of look at it from the side, but we don't really dive into it. You know, I'll, I'll collect links in my pocket account, and and you know, and you know, just in case, you know, just if something comes from it, you know, we'll t- we'll be able to talk about it intelligently. But till then, I have better things to worry about. And look at the end of
2: this, okay? Samsung and Apple have been royal in this stuff around the world. Mm -hmm. The lawyers have made a lot of money. I wonder what a lawyer who participates in this case gets. What, $1,000 an hour more or what?
3: I mean, a lot of money. Yeah, I wouldn't mind being one.
2: Okay, so the lawyers love it. And they go back and forth. And Samsung says, well, Apple's patents, it's just about rounded corners. Or maybe we did infringe on a few, but they're not worth anything. And Apple says they've slavishly copied the interface, and Steve Jobs said he'd go nuclear against Google, but he's not going against Google. So if this is all, he's about, not going
3: against anybody. He's dead,
2: right? But you know, I mean, Apple. Yeah, we're yeah. not thinking that Steve Jobs is acting on this from beyond the grave. That's for our other radio show. <laughs> you know, well, maybe we'll have a medium come on, and we'll bring back Steve Jobs and ask what he thinks about this. But seriously, well, I have an attorney for him. All right, I'm ready for this too. I'm not sure what i'm ready for but if i ever come up with an idea i'll think about it okay Okay. so what has this done i mean you can still buy iphones you can still buy ipads you can still buy samsung galaxy this or that so after what tens of millions hundreds of millions of legal fees have been spent the lawyers getting rich and fat or at least rich with their yachts and their ferraris at the end of the day. Who benefits other than the lawyers?
3: I don't think anyone has. I mean, has Apple benefited? No. Has Samsung benefited? No. Do the users benefit? No. It seems like a massive waste of time to me. But I mean, you know, at the same time, you know, Samsung is is kind of shameless in a lot of things. For instance, I was just reading on Twitter how they used um, a selfie that was taken with the with President Obama in one of their ads, and he didn't appreciate that. They're just kind of shameless. I mean, you know, their TVs—they copied Sony. Their phones—they've, they've, you know, basically copied Apple. You know, I mean, yeah, I wish they'd kind of. I just kind of wish they would stop doing that, but they're not. And and that's what so much technology is just copying, right? I mean. um you know, uh, Apple copied Xerox. Now, granted, they had a, an agreement. So, I mean, that that was, you know, somewhat kosher. But then Microsoft copied Apple. And then Apple's, I mean, you know, we were talking about Notification Center earlier. Well, Apple copied Palm and they copied Android. You know, and, and these things make make it better for us, the users, right? You know, they copy each other's good ideas and, and they iterate and, and everybody wins uh, for the most part. So, and, and this is really a proxy war, right? This is a cold war between Apple and Google. And they just haven't got... Found an excuse or the um, or the gusto to actually just go head to head against each other because that would probably be extremely destructive. So, um, like I said, once again, we don't pay a ton of attention to it. I mean, if if a product gets banned, if if something tangible comes out of this, uh, we will be happy to report on it. And, and a- Adam uh, is great on these things. You know, Adam's the kind of guy who will sit there and read the several hundred page legal uh, reasoning and be able to summarize it and. 12 paragraphs or less. So um you, you know so you know if you're out there you're listening to this uh, you know don't don't worry yourself with it you know unless you're a, you know a legal fan or you know you're you're a lawyer studying this stuff just you know wait till we summarize in tidbits if there's anything to summarize. Now there's a site out
2: there FossPatents.com, a blog mm-hmm. where they are very much involved in this and they came up with the conclusion that except for maybe the rubber banding effect you know, where you move a screen in the iPhone, it bounces back. They think most of the other patents are just so iterative from other mm-hmm. patents and stuff that none of this is worth anything. That's his opinion. I, now, understand how people follow through with previous things. Realize that, sure, a lot of patents exist. Some of them are valuable inventions, others are just modifications. Imagine, for example, if musicians would be able to copyright or patent their styles so for example when the beatles came out would the everly brothers have sued because <laughs> they're imitating their harmonies maybe even the beach boys would also be sued by the everly brothers what about little richard listen <laughs> yeah. to paul mccartney with but the Chuck way Berry he w- does that rasping voice and you listen to little richard yeah and you Chuck think Berry about all of them. <laughs> you think about keith richard yeah and you listen to his guitar and you listen to a recording by Chuck Berry. Did Chuck Berry ever sue the Rolling Stones because they took his style? Well, that's part of the way music works. You use your influences, and you put it together, and if you do it right, you get something really compelling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you produce something that, with all the ingredients together, comes out to be different. Now, we understand with Apple, they took stuff that had been done, they put their own interpretation on it, which is what a good artist does, mm-hmm. and they came out with something better. But should they get patent protection? On the other hand, do you want your Samsung Galaxy phone to 100% resemble Apple? You want to have some differences, man. mm
3: mm-hmm. Well, you know, I we've discussed this before. I think the entire patent system, as it exists today, is just total bunk. We should just get rid of it. And I think software patents are even more ridiculous because, I mean, you are basically either patenting a an algorithm, a, you know, a math formula, or you are just patenting a really obvious idea, right? And and the thing is, is that you know the only people who can really enforce patents are the ones who have the money to hire the lawyers to do it, like Apple and Samsung and Google. You know, the pa- you know patents you know don't help people like you and me, Gene. You know, um. You know, if I had a patent on something, and and Apple just went and decided they were going to do something with that, what, what could I do? Probably not a whole lot. You maybe know, maybe you best- could find an attorney
2: who would take it on contingency. Think about maybe, that. Maybe, maybe, but he, maybe he, we, he, we got Josh Centers <laughs> joining us for one more segment of the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
23: Hi, this is Gary Cooper with Midas Resources, gold and silver. Government shutdown, inept politicians, entitlements, looming Obamacare. The death of the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency is what nobody wants to acknowledge. We have a debt bubble that cannot be paid and will eventually crash the dollar. If you're concerned about keeping your money, why not consider storing your wealth in gold and silver? Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. Together we'll discuss your options of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130, and we'll discuss your options of buying precious metals. Also, I can send you information on how you can roll over your IRA or 401k into a precious metal IRA. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the dollar crashes. Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237.
2: Here in the Tech Night Out Live, Josh sent her some tidbits. So I think we have a collective opinion here about the lawsuits with Apple and Samsung. All right, shake hands, sign the cross-licensing agreement like Apple's done with Microsoft, Apple's done with Nokia, Mm -hmm. Apple's done with HTC. Just make the agreement. First of all, I think Samsung is dumb. They're (laughs) dumb because they're making billions of dollars from Apple building components for them like the A7 processor. Now, of course, they say Apple's going... Elsewhere, but Samsung does very good. But Samsung, if you look at the history of Samsung, the family that controls Samsung, they are people who in this country would be in jail for the things they've done. Yeah. I mean, they're tricky dudes. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get on the wrong side of them. They do not seem to have any morals about this. They're able to just pull whatever they can, probably figuring at the end of the day... If they lose the lawsuit, who cares the products? But that time after the seventeenth appeal won't be made anymore. So if they decide at the jury next week that Apple wins, Samsung has to pay them two billion dollars. What happens then? Samsung appeals. Or maybe at the end of the day they'll finally say, okay, let's do the cross licensing bit. All this time wasted. Some people suggest though that the costs of products may go up. Not when you have powerhouses like Samsung and Apple, because it's just a drop in the bucket.
3: I, I think the main thing is that Apple sees Apple wants to go to war because they want a deterrent. They want to show everyone else in the industry that if if you even think about you know mirroring anything they do, they are going to sue you into oblivion. And um, you know, of course, Samsung has Google ads back, but you know, most of those, the middle level guys, even some of the hot, the bigger folks, don't. So. I don't think that's really what it's about. It's about um, intimidation. It's about scaring the rest of the industry. It's about saying, hey, no, look, we're going to defend our um, intellectual property. And it's as simple as that. And, and Apple you know, is prideful enough. It's a prideful enough co- uh, company that, yes, they will, they're willing to spend however much it takes. And they have plenty to spend, right? Um, they're not going to hurt from this. So, yeah, absolutely. They will, they will you know, spend as much money as it takes in the war chest to try to defeat Samsung.
2: We have about five minutes left. Let's just talk very briefly about the latest product from Amazon. This is a fire, another fire. Mm -hmm. But this fire is a media player like the Roku, like the Apple TV. What do you think?
3: I think it's a very impressive piece of hardware they've put together. On paper, it's much more powerful than the Apple TV. Um, It has um, the optical audio and all the ports you see in the Apple TV. So it's not like the Chromecast, where it's just a dongle with just an HDMI connector. They have uh, plenty of apps on it. They have gaming. There is an optional Bluetooth game controller. There is voice search, which is really cool. And uh, I'm kind of surprised they beat Apple to the punch there. So, uh, you know, the real big question, uh, I'm hoping to get one soon, and I really want to put it through its paces, And because that's the question. Because like on paper, the Kindle Fires have always been good tablets, right? But then if you actually use one, they're kind of slow and clunky. It's just not very fun to use. I, I hear the HDX is better than the previous ones, but I, I have yet to try one. Oh, and that's another thing, too. If you have an HDX tablet you can do something, you can basically mirror that screen to your fire TV. So it's kind of like airplay. And and there's some other neat features. There's uh, one that's coming up where you can limit and control what your kids watch on TV. I think that's a very welcome feature that Apple needs to implement. There is uh, there's X-ray, which um if you ever use that on Kindle Books, um you can use that on your HDX tablet and it'll um tell you like who's starring the movie and information about all that and who wrote the movie and you know um all that kinds of kind of information. So It's a very compelling device. Now, if you're an Apple user, I wouldn't jump ship just yet because there are two things, two advantages the Apple TV does have for Apple users, and that, of course, is iTunes. Um, If you have a lot of iTunes content you've already purchased, uh, you might as well stick with Apple TV. Also, um, the other advantage is, of course, AirPlay, which uh, works beautifully with iOS and Mac devices. And also – you know, a lot of people are lauding that Amazon has a Bluetooth uh, remote control, but I don't. I don't necessarily think that's so great because um, one of the things I love about the Apple TV is that um, you can use um, yes, you can use the included remote, or you can program another remote a, a infrared remote and use it with that, or you can use the remote app, um, which uh, can, you know Amazon is going to have one of those too for their their HDX tablet, and then um, and they also can use a Bluetooth keyboard. So one thing I love about Apple TV is all the uh, input options. Another thing, another big weakness of the uh, Fire TV, and and I applaud Amazon for not being afraid to point this out in their in their spec comparison. They have a grid on their site with like check boxes and X's and stuff for like what they have versus what others have, and they do not have HBO Go. So if you pay the money to subscribe to that, then uh, this new Amazon box isn't for you uh, just yet. But now. If you are heavily invested in Amazon's uh, stuff and their ecosystem, then yeah, this Fire TV is a great deal. $99 and 40 bucks more you get a game controller and they have some pretty decent games. They have Minecraft Pocket Edition and um, Asphalt 8 and uh, Game of Life and you know some other things. So um if you're if you're heavily invested in the Amazon ecosystem or if you have a Prime subscription and you enjoy watching that streaming content that's included, then you know, not a bad box to have.
2: And if you buy the Amazon Fire and you have the Prime subscription, you get free 2-day shipping. Mhm. All right. Okay, but does this put pressure on Apple to start doing something with the Apple TV? It's yes. no longer a hobby because it's now has a featured spot on Apple's online store. Can't be a hobby.
3: No, yeah. I mean, I think even Tim Cook has said it's no longer a hobby. Yes, this a hundred percent puts pressure on Apple. And as the guy who wrote the, uh, the book on Apple TV, Take Control of Apple TV, I woke up the morning it was announced and leapt out of bed, You know, didn't even bother going to the shower, combing my hair and just reading about this thing like a man, man. I'm like, oh, my God, they've totally blown it away. I'm not panicking. I'm sure Apple. I'm sure Apple's working on something. And Apple's pro. The thing is, the Fire TV. Yes, um, on paper, it beats what Apple has now. But does it beat what Apple has next? I'm not so sure about that because I think the direction Apple is going is the place Amazon can't yet go, and that's uh, deals with cable companies. That's you know, that's where the true power lies. You know, once you have a deal for the infrastructure to get past bandwidth caps, to get uh, license content licensing deals. That's where you know, true power, that's where the true advancements can come from, right? But yes, A- A- Apple needs to respond, and they need to respond pretty soon. I'm, you know, I-, I hate to be an alarmist. I don't want to be these Apple is doomed kind of people, but um, it, whatever they have up their sleeve, I hope they plan to roll it out pretty quickly.
2: Well, there were predictions that Apple TV would be announced in April for shipment later this year. Right now, the only Apple announcement is later this month where we hear about their quarterly financials and see how well they do. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Okay, so we have the Amazon Fire. We have the Roku, especially the Roku 3. We have Apple TV. May the best streaming media box win. Who knows
3: what's going to be next? And the great thing is, is that it doesn't have to be a single winner, right? You can have multiple boxes in your, in your living room. So maybe they'll all live together happily. <laughs> Josh
2: Sanders, tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
3: Uh, You can find me on tidbits.com, joshcenters.com, takecontrolbooks.com, and at jcenters on Twitter.
2: So many places, so little time to keep up with everything. (laughs) Josh Centers, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Live. Thank you, Gene.
9: We are the premier independent talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network,
2: GCN. a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene
21: when you check out.
6: It's time for a home security quiz. What effective home security device is smaller than a coffee cup, fakes out burglars into thinking someone is home at your house while you're away, plugs into any wall outlet, is recommended by many police departments, and sells for less than $30? Yes, it's fake TV. This year, about one in every 50 U.S. homes will have a break-in, with burglars usually picking the easy target, a dark house that looks like no one is home. Fake TV is a small electronic security device that makes it look like someone is home watching TV by simulating the light from a real TV. Fake TV could be the difference between coming home to a secure house or one that's been ransacked. To get your fake TV for only $29.95 with free shipping, go to faketv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKETV. That's 877-532-5388 or go to faketv.com.
24: Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. Question, could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better. What's going to happen next?
14: You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
2: We have Kirk McElhern. He's Macworld's famous iTunes guy. Very famous, also writes a lot of articles. And I noticed, Kirk, you did a piece about your internet connection. This is something we talked about on the air very recently, where you've got two internet accounts. You've got the DSL, which is kind of slow or very slow, and you've got the satellite, which is fast in the morning, slow in the evening.
22: Yeah, I just updated my article about the satellite this morning because in the past few weeks, the performance on the satellite has been has gone from slow to dismal. The past few evenings, from about 5 p.m. on to about 11-ish, um, I've been lucky to get 50k down, and this is a connection that gets me about 21 megabits during the day. Now, let me
2: ask you a question here. Have you complained to the ISP about this? Is there yeah, excuse that, that there's congestion or what?
22: No, well, that, that's what I'm getting to. The, the first complaints I made were maybe a month ago when I was finding that it was getting slow and I was curious why. I noticed that they have a specific page to do a speed test. When I would do the speed test, I would get speeds well above what I was able to download. Now, if you're downloading from, say, the iTunes Store or any Apple server, you're going to get pretty much the highest bandwidth unless it's a day that they've released a new version of OS X or iOS and everyone's hitting the servers. So I would see... Speed tests of say six or eight or 10 megabits using the ISP speed test, and I'd be getting 200k down. 200k is less than two megabits. The past few days, I was doing these tests in the evening. I got 13 megabits last night, I was getting 50k, and I was having web pages time out. So the ISP, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I said, you know, the only possibility is that the satellite. Company, because the, the company I deal with is a, a reseller for the satellite company. So it seemed to me, and I'm pretty sure this is the case, the satellite company is prioritizing the speed tests in order to make it look like you're getting faster performance. That so, is not unusual.
2: I used to have an account with Cox, Cox Communications. Now, Cox Communications, I had a 50 to 55 megabit download account. If I checked it on their dedicated speed test, I'd get 55 to 60. Yep. If I tested it anywhere else, I'd get 30 or 35. So Which that is, is kind of suspicious because obviously I'm not getting that in the real world.
22: Right. It's very simple for them to do it. They know your IP address. It's part of you know, a bundle of IP addresses they have. So if they see that IP address connect, there's always this sort of a handshake period when you start a speed test. And they can pretty much slow down other traffic to give you priority. So I'm pretty sure that's what was happening. This morning, the ISP, again, this is the reseller, contacted me, and and my first question was, look, is this something that can be fixed or not? And the guy said, here's what we're going to do for you. There's another satellite service that's very recent that's a UK company. The one that I'm currently with is an Italian company. What we're going to do is we're going to send someone to change the hardware because it's a different satellite. They get up to 15 megabits down and 2 megabits up, so a little slower than this one, but he says you're going to be guaranteed to have at least about 9 megabits all the time. I'll get the same quota, 50 gigabits a month, and it'll be unlimited from midnight to 6 a.m. So the unlimited period is a little shorter and a little later. Right now it's from 11 to 7, I think, but I can still queue up my downloads and set them to run uh, after midnight when I have big downloads, and I don't want to hit my quota. Now, this is going to take a week or two, you know, the time they get a technician to come out because they got to take off the current satellite and put a new one on since it's a different dish and it's pointing at a different satellite. But they're doing this free of charge. My guess is I've written about this and I've mentioned their company and I wrote a Macworld article where I mentioned them. And while there may be a lot of people complaining, I'm not the one they want to get pissed off because I could write about it and... And I could write about the kind of problems that people are seeing. I'm not the only one. I've seen some forums where people are talking about the same thing, comparing speed tests from one site to another, for instance.
2: Well, you know, in the end, a speed test is only as good as the reality of what you actually get. And if a speed test is not realistic and you can't get that speed, I think you're being gypped. That's my
22: opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the technician on the phone, I said, look... Do you agree with me that the, 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 the speed that I'm getting is unacceptable? He said yes. So there's definitely something going on. What I think is that this first satellite company is they simply have too many subscribers. And that in recent months they've gotten more. Because when it started, uh, the first week was a little bit iffy. But they did say that you know, it takes a while for that to settle down. Um, I was getting good enough speeds. I could, I could rent an, a movie from the iTunes store. Um, now what's happening is it's so slow in the evening that I can't. So I think what's happened, this company could be overextended and have too many subscribers um, because, you know, the bandwidth is limited. You're sharing bandwidth with however many people are on a beam and it could be simply that they've just got maybe 400 instead of 200 people on a beam. So everyone suffers unless they actually prioritize certain users or throttle certain users. But... The throttling is a problem, too, because you don't know if, why, or when you're being throttled. You don't know if certain servers are being throttled. I noticed that the iTunes store was much slower than other servers that I was trying. Mm, So so they don't like Apple. They might be throttling high-bandwidth things. Um, I did notice that Netflix was actually a little bit faster than the iTunes store. So maybe Netflix
2: is paying them a spiff.
22: Maybe they're just prioritizing Netflix because they have a lot of users who want to use Netflix and who are complaining. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I'm pleased that they're offering to do something different. Um, It'll actually be five pounds cheaper because this company has got a lower price. Um, I'll see what happens when they actually set it up, which, as I said, will be sometime in a week or so. So next time I'm on the show, we can talk about it, and I'll be able to say if there's a difference or not.
2: Let me talk about my problem. We mentioned this in the previous show that Kirk was on, and also in my blog, technightout.com. And that is that downloading files from my server on a 50 megabit connection, actually it's 40 megabits, but routinely it's been 50, would come in at 50K, like dial-up. And we were talking about what they call the peering connection between CenturyLink and Cogent Communications, one of those telecoms that is used to generate web traffic and give it to different providers. And the way it ended up is that Cogent was saying CenturyLink needed to add capacity. CenturyLink wrote back to me and said, no, Cogent needs to give us more capacity. So it's like the fingers pointing in different directions. He did it. No, he did it. Now there was a solution. The solution is suddenly I check out my connection routinely every day from the server to see if the problem had been fixed. So I checked it out. So let me backtrack a second. So before I was getting 50K download, pretty consistently, like dial-up. Now I'm getting two megabytes, which is obviously an amazing improvement over the performance I was getting before. All of a sudden, on a file, that's pretty good because we were using a server in Montreal. And going through all those connections, that's a pretty good speed.
22: Yeah, 2 megabytes is it's about, good. What, 16 good to 20 megabits. Yeah.
2: Right. So I was getting a pretty good speed. And it's speed. acceptable. Uh, an acceptable speed. Understand this is a server that's busy, and it's processing a lot of downloads. So I thought this was pretty good. So then I did a trace route test to see if they changed the route or someone changed the route. And instead of going through and Communications, there's another company called Tata Communications, another one of these peering providers that is used to take care of internet traffic. And suddenly, it was going through Tata Communications rather than Cogent. So I don't know who makes that decision, whether that's the ISP when you request a file from somebody where it goes through what path it takes, whether it's the data center and the contracts they have. At the end of the day, Cogent is, at least for now, out of the picture— And now I'm getting decent performance. Hmm, Interesting. Who could have
22: thunk it? Yeah, but it just shows that you got to complain about this stuff.
2: And the problem that I ran into, I literally had to write to the president of CenturyLink, making the complaint, call their home office in Louisiana, and ask to speak to somebody in what they call executive escalation or executive customer support. to get some answers. We'll have more to go on this. Isn't this complicated, folks? I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: We are America's largest independently owned communications network,
2: GCN.
12: It's hard
10: to imagine when things are going reasonably well, just how quickly things can change. But what would it take? Economic collapse? Massive crop failure? Chemical or biological attack? So many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty. There's nothing. Don't let that happen. Act today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit freeze-dryguy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit freeze-dryguy.com or call toll-free 866-404-377.
25: A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving.
14: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg.
2: With Kirk McElhern, Macworld's iTunes guy, we were talking about his attempted resolution for his satellite internet problems. We're hoping it will work out. And the apparent problem I was having with getting files from my web server. And other people who were using CenturyLink were complaining also, suddenly to get the radio show would take 50 minutes. And that was not acceptable. I had to move everything off to a backup server until this was sorted out. It was a real mess. You you
22: know what the worst thing about this is? People like you and I who understand the technology were able to go to someone and explain and to say, this is what's wrong. But the average user isn't going to know. They may... call some customer service rep who's going to just you know try and make it sound like it's their fault and then they'll give up we got to spend a lot of time also to resolve this you were doing trace routes i was doing speed tests you're doing this regularly because you're doing a sort of you're, you're doing you're following a troubleshooting procedure you're trying to get the data to be able to go back to the company and it takes a lot of time
2: not just a trace route but something called an mtr test remember that And that combines what they call the ping test with the traceroute. The traceroute shows the path the download takes. The ping test is showing the efficiency of the packets. If you get packet lost, it means that you get slower speed. So this combines it. But in order to do an MTR test from my router to the server, I had to install command line tools... under mac os 10 and it's not easy i tried several and they would not install we're talking about something really difficult here we're talking about the fact that the average isp you call them and say i'm getting slow downloads and they'll say well everything tests fine maybe it's that server and that's the end of it and most people will buy it and if it happens to be something with their peering setup which of course is like i said where the isp interacts with other telecom companies to transfer web traffic. Who do you explain that to? Yeah. I had to go through several levels and I don't know who was at fault. I don't know who decided to switch the yep. peering provider. Yep. You know, it's all about money. And there's yep. an article in Ars Technica, a highly technical publication for really, really deep power users in technology. They mentioned that companies like Level 3 and Cogent, you know, another telecom company, complained to the FCC because the ISPs were trying to charge them tolls. This is a toll road. You want to get your yeah. traffic into our service, pay us more money. Yeah. I mean, it's a nasty world out there. And this is the problem until they figure a final solution for net neutrality, this is what you're going to have. And let me explain how this affects everybody if you try to download files from any place and i had it happened to me trying to get a file from apple where it was a file that would take 3 minutes and one day it takes 6 hours yep. even though in theory my internet speed was correct what happens here is that people are being impacted and companies have to do workarounds like netflix netflix probably is the single most largest user of internet traffic of bandwidth yeah so what did Netflix do? Well, they went to Comcast, the number one cable and broadband provider in the U.S. And by the way, Comcast is buying Time Warner Cable. And they agreed to put their servers in Comcast facilities and basically pay the toll for preferred access. They basically had to acquiesce. But what happens with a small company? I mean, all right, you're Netflix, you got billions of dollars. And you got tens of millions of subscribers. Well, if you're a little tiny company, you want to start a streaming service and you lease time or set up your own servers or you lease time with a company like Akamai to handle your content delivery, how do you pay off the ISP to get your data through at full speed?
22: Well, are you going to have the same problem if you're not sending, if you're a small company, you have fewer clients, and you're not going to be sending as many, you're not going to be sending as much data. So, I wonder if you're going to have the same kind of problem.
2: Well, the point being that as soon as you start growing, as soon as you start sending more traffic, what yeah, happens? Yeah,
22: then, then the problem will happen when you've got a lot of... Of customers. So l- last night, actually, I was trying out a streaming service. The Berlin Philharmonic has something that they call the digital concert hall. And what they do is they stream their concerts live, every single one of their concerts from Berlin. And you can access an archive of more than 250 concerts. For this, you pay 15 euros a month. So that's about $20. So I was trying it out last night with a free concert that they give you to try the service out. And the point you raise is interesting. If the Ber- Berlin for Harmonic suddenly gets, you know, 100,000, 200, 500,000 users. How is that going to be reflected on the way that data gets transmitted? The answer
2: being that probably it's going to be restricted. It's going to be throttled. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. There's got to be a better way. This way doesn't work because it doesn't serve the customer. The customer just wants to download the files. The customer just wants the streaming video. And
22: they're lost in this... But the customer's not the one paying for it. Is this the problem? Well, the the customer's paying for access. Yeah, but they're not paying for... Okay. On the one hand, I totally agree with the idea of net neutrality. That you shouldn't be treating different things in a different way. But... Once you bring up something like Netflix and say Netflix is maybe half of the internet traffic in the United States, then maybe you should be paying. Maybe that this network, both the the customers and the company, Netflix, should be paying more because that service is using so much data. Now, if that means you pay a dollar a month more for Netflix, maybe that's what it's got to be. Well, yes, Um, but if you pay a dollar
2: more and you know you're getting your high-definition downloads – Right, it's efficient, if, we know also we have to look at free market, and we understand that if an i s p is abusive, yeah. it should be regulated. But you see that gets into the whole free market political argument here, which is well, the free market could regulate itself. No, the reason you get government involved is when the free market abuses the privilege exactly, you know it's like all this debate in America over the health care law, yeah. And it involves a free market with insurance companies. But why did you need a health care law? It's because the free market didn't work. It's where all these health insurance providers abused their customers, took exorbitant premiums, kept large amounts for processing and profits in the $400 million that the president of United Healthcare gets. They threw you off because of pre-existing conditions. Or if your condition costs too much to treat. And I'll get into a yep. personal situation in a moment with regard to health. But the point being here is that they looked at health care as profit and loss. Yep. And because they looked at it as profit and loss, not benefiting the end user
22: who simply wants their medical bills paid, the system was abused because you get greedy. Well, there you come into the philosophical difference between the United States, between a lot of Americans, and between most Europeans that Europeans consider that healthcare is a right and a fundamental right. And Americans, there are far too many libertarians in America who believe that each person should be responsible for paying for their own healthcare. Um, it's not the, the topic we usually um, discuss here. Having lived in Europe for almost 30 years, I can tell you that the overall society is much better off when everyone has health care. No one here ever goes bankrupt for medical bills. No one here ever has to mortgage their home for medical bills. It simply doesn't happen.
2: You know, let me talk to you about personal situation. I don't like to talk too much about my personal life because I don't think it's appropriate. I think this is a show about technology. We bring on, as we call the movers and shakers of the industry. We bring on commentators. We bring on companies. We talk about technology issues that affect everyone, like we are talking about getting the best broadband speeds, dealing with problems like I had with CenturyLink and with downloading files from my server. So, you know, we don't talk about my personal life because my personal life is my personal life and we know how all that works out. But here's a situation where I have a relative. It's my brother-in-law, Stephen. Known the guy for like 36 years. And he's a really sweet guy. has loving wife, he has a handicapped child, and he's really struggled hard in recent years. So the guy doesn't have a lot of money. Now, to put things in perspective here, this is something which will bring it up close and personal. My mother-in-law died of pancreatic cancer back in 1985. This was a year before my son was conceived, so my son never knew his grandmother. And my mother had died before then, so he never really knew his grandmothers. We'll get into more of this, and you'll see the personal connection in a moment. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
9: A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
24: If you own a business, you need customers, right? Well, your potential customers are listening to this radio program right now, and I can help you reach them. Hi, I'm Matt Brower, a national marketing executive at the radio network responsible for this program. I can help you customize a national radio campaign that fits your budget, large or small, while targeting your specific audience. Contact me to learn how radio advertising can make your business more profitable. M-B-R-O-W-E-R at GCNlive.com. That's Brower at GCNlive.com.
11: For years, you've been hearing about Herbal Healer Academy and how it's remained the leader in effective alternative and natural medicine and education. But how can they continue to hold that title for years on end? The answer is high quality and huge selection. Just visit herbalhealer.com and shop online or request a free catalog. You're bound to find the alternative you're looking for. Did you know that Herbal Healer carries the latest, safest, and effective weight loss products? You can also count on Herbal Healer for the largest selection of safe and natural supplements just for children. And don't forget your pets. Herbal Healer even has natural mineral supplements for all your animals, including horses, cows, and birds. Take a peek at their online calendar and you're sure to find everything you need and maybe something you didn't realize you needed. Visit HerbalHealer.com and don't forget to sign up for the free Herbal Healer newsletter. HerbalHealer.com, working with the power of nature.
8: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: Now, just in perspective, my late mother-in-law was actually going to go into an experimental treatment program. For pancreatic cancer patients, but she didn't survive long enough to actually go to be tested. We had arranged for ambulance and everything to take her and test her. So I mean it was really sad. All right. We know that Steve Jobs of Apple died of pancreatic cancer. And we can say maybe he should have gotten treated earlier, we don't know. But as most of you know, pancreatic cancer, if not caught early, is basically a death sentence. Okay, so Let's talk about my brother-in-law. His name is Steven. Loving father, loving husband. He was just recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, he was treated at the Mayo Clinic. Don't ask me how they got him in there. He has pretty decent prospects for it because they said the cancer hasn't spread. It's the kind they can treat with chemo and radiation therapy. So that works out. Obviously, this is going to be expensive. He's under Medicare, but if you don't have one of these supplemental plans, you've got to pay like 15 or 20%, you know how that works, Kirk?
22: Yeah, I'm not aware of that. You know, I've lived over in Europe for nearly 30 years and you don't have that kind of things. You have copays in certain circumstances, but they never hit that amount.
2: Okay, so basically, Mayo Clinic says he has to pay 15% of the total cost. And we can expect those costs will be six figures. So what we did, what well, a lot of people have done is we went to GoFundMe.com, GoFundMe.com, and we set up a fundraising campaign for Stephen. And the network, he said, I could do this, okay? So, look, we all have our personal problems. We all know that money is tight nowadays. If you want to learn more about Stephen and his problem, go to GoFundMe.com slash That's N like in Nancy, U, M like in Mary, I, S. GoFundMe.com slash Numis. We set up a page there where explains the problem. And obviously he's soliciting donations to help with his medical bills and care for his family. So that's the situation. And I'll keep you folks informed if you're interested. But right now he's due to start the chemo shortly. And we're all praying for him his speedy recovery. That's Stephen.
22: It's it's terrible where where your life depends on money. And over here in Europe, the idea is exactly the opposite, that everyone has the right to this treatment. Um, Now, it's different in different countries. I've lived in France and I live now in the UK, and the healthcare systems are different. On on the one hand, in France, it's what you'd call a single payer because you pay for everything and you get reimbursed. In England, it's more of a single provider. You don't pay for anything except for prescription drugs, and those are at a a flat fee per prescription. Um, But both of the systems are based on the premise that it's just better for society that everyone be as healthy as possible, that you don't want people going bankrupt because there'll be a charge on society afterwards. You don't want people not being able to afford medical care because it can get other people sick. It can have repercussions, even if it's not communicable. Now, the um, other
2: thing work out here that you have to consider here in the United States, if you get sick, you go to the emergency room at the hospital. Yeah, They have to take care of you regardless yeah. of your ability to pay that bill. Yeah. But somebody has to pay that bill because remember an emergency room is for emergencies. But if you don't have health care you go there for primary care treatment that high inefficient care adds up who pays for it? Well they actually said that the people who pay for health care pay $1000 a year of their insurance for, bill for
22: everyone else, yeah,
2: to pay for everyone else. So there you go. Yeah. In any case, as I said, I don't like to talk about personal things, but Steven is obviously seriously ill and we wanted to mention his situation and the healthcare situation. Let's move back to our technological world. Total 180 here. Now you have an interesting article on your site. Which
22: one? I have lots of them, Gene.
2: I was going to explain, it, sir. <laughs> okay. How Hi-Fi magazines write about cables part eight. Now, I'm going to give you a background of this, okay? Now, the progenitor of the exotic or expensive audio and video cables is a company called Monster Cable. We've all heard of them, right? It was founded by a guy named Noah Lee, a really smart marketing guy. Now, their stock and trade was if you pay extra money for Monster Cables, you get better sound. So... There is a legend, which I understand to be true in the audio industry, where Noah Lee was given a blind test of cables, and he couldn't tell. His cable couldn't detect it from the cheap cable.
22: Yeah, it, it, that's not the guy who invented this. There have been expensive cables since there have been cables. Um, but he was the is- guy who gave it a mainstream Right, Promotion. that that's right. Monster is a much more mainstream company. Most of these hi-fi companies are known only to audiophiles. These are people who spend lots and lots of money on their systems and who are always looking for a tiny, tiny, tiny improvement in anything they can. There's a lot of mythology. There's a lot of confirmation bias. There's a lot of placebo effect out there. Um, but what I find most impressive is to read what Um, I'm air quoting the word journalists, write about these sorts of things. So as you said, this is part eight. Um, This started about 10 days ago when a magazine, What Hi-Fi? question mark, over here in the UK, published an article by someone who said basically, well, I don't care if you don't think the cables make a difference. I do. And I don't care about any proof you present to me that suggests they don't. And he was talking about digital cables. So Ethernet, USB, things like that. He wasn't even talking about copper cables that you go go from an amp to a speaker. He was talking about purely digital cables. Now, the science is pretty simple. There's ones and zeros. The kind of data rates, the kind of data throughput that's used in music and even video can't overwhelm these cables, can't do anything to it. But the way some of these people write about it, it's just astounding. So part eight, Um, I write about the fact that here's a guy who, um, in in a hi-fi magazine, he's writing about cables, and he's saying that I'm not going to review cables anymore. I'm going to review a complete cable loom. What he means by that is all of the cables. So a power cable, um, an interconnect, so from a CD player to an amp, and speaker cables. He's going to get all of them from one company, and he's going to review them um, together instead of a single one. So what I've been doing is just highlighting some of the ridiculous language that they use. And I'm going to read uh, a brief example. So the, the, another myth here is that cables need to be burned in, played for 20 or 30 or 100 hours. Oh, to get that's their sound. an
2: old audio myth.
22: Yeah. And it goes back to the days it goes of back tube to tubes, amplifiers. Of course. Yeah. Which did need a little bit of burn in. Anyway, so he says about these cables, after about three weeks of daily use, the cables began to undergo a change. There was always a slight slight question mark in my head over their absolute resolving power through the mid-band. Oh, boy. And after initially feeling... There was always a slight question mark in my head over their absolute resolving power through the mid-band, and after initially feeling very complimentary of their impeccable balance, they seemed to grow a little soft and somewhat dull, but... Gradually, a new performance level was taking shape and they just grew in sophistication and balance as the weeks rolled by. What emerged was an even livelier cable set than before with an extra edge and clarity to their dynamic resolving power. The system had put on some weight, but in all the right places, drawing the electronics <laughs> and together forgive me, I'm laughing. As, as a more enjoyable whole with an even better feeling of stability to the musical picture.
2: We're not making this up, folks. This is an actual quote from... That magazine is read by Kirk McElhern. Seriously.
22: Now the system was sounding like a single musically focused unit rather than a collection of expensive components. But it goes further. He changes the cable between the CD player and the amp. And he says, I'm not saying the system sounded bad. In fact, the sound became warmer and fatter. But the rhythmic togetherness and the whole swing and beating pulse of the music had vanished. Now it stuttered along like so many high-end systems I hear. It was certainly impressive hi-fi, but the detailed focus and explicit telling of the musical story was severely compromised.
2: We're going to be compromised if we don't do this break. Wow. I'm familiar with this stuff, by the way. We'll get into more of this in a moment. Yep. We're talking about audio, video, cables, lots more. With Kirk McElhern, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
19: quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe's financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion, gold trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded 16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance. A hundred years ago, we had a gold
11: For years, you've been hearing about Herbal Healer Academy and how it's remained the leader in effective, alternative, and natural medicine and education. But how can they continue to hold that title for years on end? The answer is high quality and huge selection. Just visit HerbalHealer.com and shop online or request a free catalog. You're bound to find the alternative you're looking for did you know that herbal healer carries the latest safest and effective weight loss products you can also count on herbal healer for the largest selection of safe and natural supplements just for children and don't forget your pets herbal healer even has natural mineral supplements for all your animals including horses cows and birds take a peek at their online calendar and you're sure to find everything you need and maybe something you didn't realize you needed visit herbalhealer.com and don't forget to sign up for the free herbal healer newsletter herbalhealer.com working with the power of nature
8: we'd like to hear from you if you have any thoughts or comments about the tech night out live please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on
2: iTunes. All right. Now, I want to make sure you listeners understand here. What he just read is a review of Cable's You know, to connect your audio and video equipment. It sounds like he's in a restaurant and he's commenting on the food. Well, this steak isn't really done well enough. It wasn't aged properly. We're not talking about the passage of digital ones and zeros. Because in the minds of these people, ones and zeros are malleable. They can be altered. In subtle ways, if you listen closely enough, if you're the golden ear, you'll hear the magic changes.
22: <laughs> well, cab- cables are one thing, but so in part seven of my series, I talk about a review of a shelf. A shelf, a, a three-shelf thing that you put your gear on, right? This was a review of a shelf that I think it was sixty-two hundred pounds, sixty-two hundred dollars. So, the sixty-two hundred dollars how- for a shelf. Shelf, three shelves, and you know posts on the side. Very attractive wood and all that. Okay, so it's furniture. It's furniture. Okay, and so what does furniture have to do with sound? Well, that's what's interesting. According to this review, talking about the guys, the the sound of the guys' components, he says their focus, resolution, and dynamic precision were all slightly but consistently improved. But $6,200 wasn't enough, so he added $2,200 feet under it. Now, you've probably seen these feet you put under devices to absorb vibrations, right? You don't want vibrations for a turntable, which is one thing. Um, They can definitely be detrimental to a turntable, but you also don't want vibrations for your amp because, hey, that can jiggle around the electrons. We
2: certainly don't want to jiggle our electrons. If you get your
22: electrons jiggled, you know, it's havoc. You're going to hear smear.
2: It's going to smear your audio output. Okay, well, hold
22: on. So when he put these $2,200 feet, the soundstage became significantly cleaner and the picture snapped into focus. And he's talking about here a picture, a video picture. Images inflated from two dimensions to three. Dynamic transient sounded 10 to 20% bigger and the piano had much more inner detail and complexity and a richer, more distinct tonal balance. The bass was more powerful and much tighter. Now, my comment is the guys on acid. The only explanation.
2: Wow. <laughs> now, understand it, here, I have been following audio for a number of years. And I understand the scenario where people think that everything you add to a home audio system, even the cables, will have some effect on the sound. Everything, Even the shelf the you put it on, apparently. Sure. I mean, if you turn the turntable or the CD player or the DVD player pointing north it's going to sound different than pointing south. That's important. All right and and this is very important. Now the problem with subjective audio is that every time you listen to something and you think something has changed in the system your mind will fill in the details. Right. Even if it's not true. And there have been situations here where to fool these people, they say, well, we just put in this exotic cable. Oh, my God, the resolution's incredible. It's the same cable. Yeah, Nothing changed.
22: There, there have been blind tests between expensive speaker cables and coat hangers, and people have not be able to, been able to tell the difference. Granted, I wouldn't use a coat hanger myself. But
2: understand something also. With speaker cables, there is a signal loss if the cable is too thin for a long run. I mean, if you're going to have like 20, 30 feet of cable between your receiver or your amplifier and your speakers, there's going to be signal loss. So you're going to hear a difference. There's something you can measure. And that's the point here.
22: But well, this is definable. And, and people know that you need a certain gauge of cable to make sure that you don't have that loss. Exactly. Uh, I- I had an interesting experience a couple of weeks ago. I know someone who runs a small classical label and he was doing a recording session in Cambridge in a church. And he invited me to come. It was just a couple hour drive from here. So we went and we spent the afternoon at the recording session and spent the night. And one thing that I noticed that was very interesting, they don't use expensive cables. They had 24 mics set up. They were doing a 5.1 surround sound recording. They just got, you know, copper cables. They're not expensive copper cables. They're very long, so they're very thick because, as you say, you need a certain gauge for over distance, but it's just copper cables. It's not like silver oxide hermetically sealed in helium-filled sheathing or anything like that.
2: By the way, if you have something hermetically sealed with helium, everything is going to come in at a higher pitch.
22: Yes, that's, the, that's true. But, you know, I say that funnily because... Funnily, I say that humorously because I'm looking at one of my posts where I collected a bunch of comments, and one of the the cables tested was built into a hermetically sealed helium-filled tube and terminated with proprietary solid silver connectors. The overall sound was open and clean with lightning-fast attacks, generous sustains, and long decays. So the helium-filled thing is not something I made up.
2: No, understand, I've read about this stuff for years. Yeah. The key here is that anytime there is a difference in the sound of equipment, there is a conveniently measurable cause. Now, even cheap amplifiers that aren't driven to overload will sound the same as expensive amplifiers unless they're just badly designed. If they're badly designed, they'll sound different. Obviously, some people talk about tube versus solid state sound. And there's a reason for that. Tubes have higher distortion. Tubes have a frequency response that is not as flat under load. You know what I mean under load, folks? It means you hook it up to a speaker, under load to a speaker, the frequency response varies more. If the frequency response varies, then the audio quality will vary as well. That's a difference you 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 could measure. That's a difference you can hear and you some hear people, people like that about, effect.
22: Yeah, you hear people talking about tube amps the way they talk about vinyl. They say the sound is warmer, but as you say, warmer simply means more distortion, and in the case of vinyl, I hate to break it to you if you're a vinyl collector out there, but after you've played a record, an LP, a vinyl LP a few times, the supposed high frequency response that is higher on vinyl than on a CD, gets worn down very quickly. I saw someplace that the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, has a standard for the frequency response that should be available from vinyl after a certain number of plays. And after, say, five plays, their standard is about CD quality frequency response. The sound that people are saying is Warmer and more comfortable is just more distorted. Now, that doesn't mean that they're wrong that that sound might be more enjoyable. You might like it because it's not as clean, because it's something that sounds more maybe human. Now, the other thing here, of course, is
2: that records have surface noise, this soft, the clicks background. and the pops. Yep. Not the clicks and pops, but kind of an overall yep. surface noise, a background noise. A low, smooth sound. That smoothness, that sound, the clicks and pops even, give vinyl a warmer feeling. And as a result of that, people like it. And they say, well, digital is sterile and all that. Now, part of the problem, of course, with CDs and digital technology is in the early days when they made the first CDs... They sounded terrible, and the reason is they use what they call production master recordings from the original vinyl version. I'll tell you more about that in a moment, because I know about this stuff. I'm Gene Steinberg. We have Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
9: Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are
2: GCN.
20: No matter what the behavior—defiance, backtalk, angry outbursts, disrespect—we can help you stop it. Now you can get the total transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. You can keep it forever for free.
21: Limited number of free programs available. Call now: one eight 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 nine one two one five nine five. That's one eight 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 nine one two one five nine five one eight eight eight.
13: Nine one two one five nine five. There are many things the human body can do very well, but maintaining the proper pH level isn't always one of them. That's where AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops can make a world of difference. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps your body do what's natural. Just a few drops a day helps rid your body of harmful waste and acid while promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Alkalizing boosts your immune system and can help fight headaches, irritability, cramping, and insomnia. Alkalizing also helps the body fight depression and even bone loss. To learn more about the importance of alkalizing and how you can find life-changing and vital balance, please visit AlkaVision's brand new website at AlkaVision.com. Same great products, but now easier to use and more informative than ever before. To get your very own plasma pH drops for just $29.95, call 800-518-7615 or visit AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Alkalize your body and supercharge your health at the new AlkaVision.com.
14: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: On the Tech Night Owl Live, we're talking about audio, audio technology, cables, analog versus digital. So, okay, first CDs use the record master, production master. Now, understand here, and I've seen the professionals, some of the top people in the industry, do this work, where in order to sound good on vinyl, they have to change the sound character because you don't want to have somebody with their $20 player and have those records skipped. I'll give you an example of that. My wife was doing recordings in the 1980s, and we had one master recording Generated by Bob Ludwig, who's one of the most famous audio production engineers, audio mastering engineers in the industry. Okay? And he told me that he had a $20 record player there. And when he did his mastering of what they call the acetate, the recording that eventually is pressed into a record, he would play it on the $20 record player. To make yep. sure it didn't skip.
22: Yeah, because if, there's, if the volume is too high, if the dynamic range is too high, the difference between the lowest and the highest volume, um, a cheaper tone arm is going to skip.
2: Exactly. So he has to do that because, remember, Bob Ludwig was doing recordings from Madonna and all the famous artists, and these were high-energy recordings. And in order to make sure they played properly on vinyl, yeah, to make alterations. However, if you took that production master and made a CD of it, it'd sound horrible. Yeah. It would sound horrible. It would sound harsh, unrealistic. So tinny. Over th-
22: there was a very tinny sound in early CDs. Right. So over the years,
2: mastering engineers learned how to make production masters that work well for CD. It got better and better. It got reached the point where you could basically take a vinyl recording, the finished product that you hear in a record, make a digital copy and you couldn't hear the difference. Yeah, It was capturing full fidelity. Now, obviously, recording engineers, producers do all sorts of stuff to make a record or a CD or a digital file sound really good. But understand here that at the end of the day, vinyl doesn't have higher resolution than CD. But Vinyl has a sound character that's pleasing
22: to people. And the best digital recording has to mimic that. Yeah. Yeah, because of this distortion. The thing is, a couple of points here. You're pointing out the progress in CDs, and it's obvious today if you listen to an old CD that hasn't been remastered, a very early CD, you'll find that it just sounds terrible. Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run still hasn't been remastered from when it was first published. And it sounds simply horrible on CD. So... A lot of people who are saying that vinyl sounds better than CD are, are stuck with this idea from the early days of CD when vinyl did sound better than CDs. And the second thing is, again, that this warmth is, is a function of distortion. It's not a function of what the sound should sound like but there's no reason why one should say that that's a bad thing if you like the sound of a tube amp if you like that fuzzy sound it's like a distorted guitar you may like that more than a cleaner sound and that's your right but to say that one technology is inherently better than another because of something like that that's simply wrong and it's easy to
2: capture the sound of that analog effect in a digital recording I mean, you can do it in a garage band. Yeah, there's filters you put on, right? Right, you put on a filter, okay, this is a tube guitar amp. Okay, that's fine. Because remember, with musical instruments, you'll do all sorts of things to alter the sound, to sound good on a recording, to sound good in person. And you're not getting a flat recording there unless you have an acoustic guitar in a little room and they're playing a regular guitar, and the sound's going to be pretty consistent. But as soon as you get to electronic this and electric that, you're going to alter the sound. Even the acoustic guitar, you run it through an amplifier. You tune it up in a special way. You use different guitar strings. And if you look at what the artists do to make sounds different, it's amazing what they do to alter the sound because at the end of the day, you want to change the sound so it fits with the recording. I mean, you look at the history of the Beatles, With the technology of the 60s and through the late 60s, the amazing things they did in order to create all those sounds with technology that was way behind what we have now. But with imagination, creativity, you can do things. But if you're listening to a recording, you want that recording, we hope, to sound as close as possible to the intent of the producer of the recording.
22: But that phrase, the intent of the producer, this is what audiophiles pull out now to talk about high resolution audio. A a recording is artificial. As you say, you're going to do all sorts of things. You're going to apply equalization. You're going to apply compression. Compression in audio mastering and production is compressing the dynamic range so that the softer and the louder sounds aren't as far apart. It's not data compression like compressing files in, in in your iTunes library. You're going to apply EQ compression. You're going to maybe have some echo, some filters, some phasers, and things like that. Um, it's not necessarily going to be anything that can be reproduced live. It's a creation of its own kind. And there's no way that you can say that even those intentions of the producer are are things that you're going to be able to reproduce on any sound system. Because, you know, it's like painting. Uh, 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 One artist is going to mix two colors together a little bit differently and get a different effect on their painting. It's the same thing. So I, I think there is a sort of a utopian search for the perfect sound among some people with audio equipment, which is just unrealistic. And they simply can't admit that it's just impossible to get what they want without... I mean, even if they're spending $100,000 on a system, it's really impossible.
2: Now, the point being here is that you probably want, in the end of the day, something that gives you the sense of the original recording. That's about it. The feeling and a rough approximation.
22: And if you get that, you've got something pretty good. Well, I always say music, not sound. I'm interested in the music. The sound is important, but the music is primordial. Um, Let me go back to that recording session two weeks ago in a church that was finished in the 16th century. There's absolutely no way that even with their 24 mics, they're going to reproduce the sound of this church. It's quite a unique church. It's very narrow and long and very, very tall. So... The amount of time, I think the amount of time from the floor to the ceiling and back, so the reverb time, is about a half a second. You're not going to reproduce that in any way in any home system. Even an approximation is only going to be an approximation of an approximation. So trying to achieve that... While laudable, you simply have to admit you can't do it. So for me, what's important, if the music is good and it sounds good, that's fine. But I want the music most of all. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go for, you know all these different gizmos that you can get that supposedly make the sound better. And I've got enough experience to know when something does sound better. I've got a decent stereo system. And I know that if I were to pay twice as much for my speakers, for instance, it would sound a tiny bit better, but that I've reached the point for me, after which the diminishing returns are just much more than the cost.
2: And it depends who you are, how much money you have. Now, for example, one of the people involved in the audio industry is Bob Carver. And he's a physicist, he's had some great inventions, and he's done a lot of things with sound processing. And I've known him for a number of years. I've helped him with some of his material. I helped him a little bit with his new website. Now, these days, though, he's gone to the boutique, if you understand what I mean. He's gone to boutique pricing and boutique products. So he sells expensive tube amps direct for like $7,000 and wow. up. He sells speakers for $23,500. And he has something called the Silver 7, which is the ultimate tube amp for $32,000. And you know what? If you buy it from Bob, he'll actually come to your home to set it up, <laughs> which I guess if you're spending $6,000, it's good. Yeah. Now understand, I really love the guy. Bob is a lot of fun to talk to. I've done work for him over the years, and he's a genius. This is what he's doing nowadays. Kirk McElhern joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs>
9: Think Alive. The network for the independent minded. The Genesis Communications Network.
2: GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out.
15: We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution.
12: Many Americans suffer from digestive problems, often totally unaware they're not absorbing essential nutrients from foods and supplements. Dr. Peter Glidden is aware of the importance of healing a damaged digestive system.
3: Now, the product that I'm going to talk about today, Mackie Plus, and it is a combination of a superfruit, the Mackey berry, and aloe vera. Juice. Now, aloe vera is a very interesting nutritional supplement to talk about because aloe vera, you know, it's the stuff that you put on your skin if you get a burn. And, man, it really knocks down the pain, the inflammation of the burn, and facilitates healing. Well, guess what? It does the same thing internally that
12: it does externally to burns. To soothe and heal your digestive system, order Mackie Plus today by calling 855-347-3696. That's 855-347-3696. Or on the web at FireYourMDNow.com. That's FireYourMDNow.com. You're listening to the Tech Night
14: Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: Oh, and by the way, if you want to learn about buying tube amps for $10,000 or so, bobcarver.us. bobcarver.us if you want to find out about that. He was on the Tech Night Out Live a few years back, and he tells great, great stories. And his stock and trade over the years was building affordable gear with the character of high-end equipment. So now he's decided to go the other way in his golden years. We have Kirk McElherm, the iTunes guy, who's also the audio guy, because we were talking about exotic cables, about analog versus digital, and all that stuff. Now understand here. At the end of the day, if you got the money and you think this cable from AudioQuest or Monster for three hundred dollars a pair sounds better, okay, fine. You pays your money, you takes your choice. If you yep. think a tube amplifier and the way it alters sound is more pleasing to you, buy the tube amp. If you can afford ten thousand dollars for it, fine. It's you know you can get a used car for that, as we know. If you can afford that, fine, go ahead.
22: Yeah, but is it really that fine? Because it's created this whole industry that's just relying on lies and creative um, copywriting. You know, some of the things that I've been posting on my blog in this series about how high fi magazines write about cables, it's just ridiculous some of the things that they're saying. So from end to end, you've got liars and and scammers and and swindlers – if a company is selling a cable for $1,000, and some of them are, $2,000, it's a cable that costs them maybe $10 bucks to make at most. It's a scam. And what bothers me is a lot of people are being taken in by this. And it's created a whole industry that is influenced from the top. It's not influenced from the bottom. It's The goal of this industry is to try and get more people to spend more money but based on a whole lot of fallacies that the high-end stuff is good. So you may have consumer oriented companies that are making very good hi-fi gear, and and I've got some stuff here that is, I would say, fairly priced and is good quality. But even those companies are influenced by the companies above them selling exotic audiophile gear, and they keep trying to creep upwards, which means that Whenever you read anything about stereo stuff, you don't know what to believe. You you said uh, an interesting thing earlier about how a cheap amp may sound the same as an expensive amp. There have been some notable, very, very broad blind tests with lots of people who found that pretty much every amp sounds the same. Let me point out here,
2: what Carver used to do, by the way, was make his solid-state amplifiers sound like expensive, exotic tube amps. How'd he do it? Well, of course, he added distortion. He did a little finagling with the frequency response under load. This is called damping factor. Now, as I said there, if you got the money, you want to do that, fine. Obviously, if someone's saying to you that the $1,000 cable sounds better, it doesn't. But here's the problem. Problem is here is that the regulatory authorities don't care. The Federal Trade Commission, for example, could or should be brought into the audio industry and say, okay... You say this sounds different, prove it. Now, we understand the tube amplifier sounds different and can be tuned to have a certain kind of sound character. So whether you like it or not, whether you want to pay $3,000, $100, or $20,000, it's fine. Because you can definitely hear a difference if the designer manipulates it. But not cables, not video cables, not HDMI cables. That's nonsense. And you wonder here, when you deal with something weird, Your past obvious, genuine differences, loudspeakers will sound different. Even two speakers from the same company will sound different, but not solid-state electronics that are designed to have a flat frequency response and low distortion, not cables. But there's nobody in this country, and I doubt there's anybody in Europe, who's going to go to these companies and say, okay, you're saying this is true, your $1,000 cables are better, you show us in a double-blind test show us that this cable sounds better if not you can't say it. No one's yeah. going to do anything about it.
22: There there are a couple of areas where there are definite differences in sound quality and speakers are probably the main area. Right. And it's not just a question of the speakers in the speaker housings, it's a question of the way the woods designed, the way the sounds design. Sometimes you'll have speakers that have a vent to get the bass sounds to come out in a different way. There are very vast differences in speakers. Headphones are the same. You'll get very big differences in headphones and pretty much with headphones, unlike cables, you get what you pay for. The more expensive headphones sound better. There's something called a DAC, a digital audio converter, and that's the chip that converts your digital stream, your ones and zeros, into analog audio. Now, you've got one of those in your iPod and your iPhone. You've got one in your CD and your DVD player. There are cheap DACs and there are more expensive DACs. So up to a point, there's a difference with those. But most of the other hi-fi components don't make a difference. Take an amplifier. One of the reasons to buy a better amplifier, a more expensive amplifier, is less for the sound than for the features. It may have more inputs, it may have more outputs, it may have a, a better control over the audio. I bought a new amp a couple years ago because my AV amp only had two HDMI inputs and the one I bought has eight, which has future-proofed me a bit. So that's a reason to get more. This amp that I bought, in fact, has two zones so I can be playing music on speakers in two different areas at the same time. It's more flexible in terms of what it can do. It sounds better than the amp I had before, not a whole lot. The difference for me is more in the usability itself than the sound. And
2: even then, your new amp may have more power, so therefore it can deliver... It has a little
22: bit more power, right,
2: So it can deliver more undistorted output to your speakers, meaning you could play them a bit louder before they distort, and that's where you could hear a genuine difference. The point is cause and effect. Yeah. And this is not the phantom thing, well, we can't measure this, we can't measure that. Maybe so, but amplifiers everything about an amplifier that could impact what you hear can be measured and quantified. Speakers more difficult because even if you measure the speaker, where do you measure it from? Do you have a mic sitting a couple of feet in front of the speaker? Do you have a mic sitting where you sit in the room where you're listening? You could measure speakers in a thousand different ways. They interact with the room because of room reflections. You got the carpeting, you got the wall drapes, you got the blinds, you've got the ceiling. Does it absorb sound? Speakers well, can more sound than, different.
22: It's even more than that. Speakers are very subjective. When, when I bought the speakers I currently have in my living room, I went to a hi fi store and I sampled three different speakers. One of them was a Bauer and Wilkins, a British company. Bauer and Wilkins speakers all across their line are very bassy, and I don't like overly bassy. Another one, I don't remember the company, it sounded to me a little bit trebly, and the ones that I bought by a French company called Focal seemed to me to have the flattest response, so they weren't really altering either the bass or the treble. And I did my listening with a CD that I burned of music I was very familiar with, that I've listened to on headphones and that I know very well, and I knew the sound that I was looking for. Maybe the Bauer and Wilkins speakers might have been better on paper, it's not a sound that I appreciate, and I chose the ones that sound good to me and with speakers there's a big difference
2: right it's a personal preference what do you like you buy it but the key here is that also sometimes in the stores they'll pull games like well maybe they'll manipulate the amplifier settings they'll play one louder than the other and you want to get the loudness the volume levels to be fairly similar because what sounds a little bit louder may have more impact more visceral impact it's complicated And we can get into home audio and choosing components more in the future, but I think it's something that isn't done very often on tech shows. I'm glad we had a chance. Kirk, tell us more about what we can find about you online. The good stuff. Um,
22: you can go to my website, Kirkville. It's www.maclehern.com. That's M C E L H E A R N.com. And you can read my series of articles about audio equipment, as well as things that I've written about Macs and iTunes and the rest. And you can find me on Macworld, where I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column and a whole bunch of other stuff.
2: You can find us on Twitter, where we're known as Tech Night Owl. We're Tech Night Owl on Twitter. You go to technightout.com to check our forums and my daily blog, and you can listen to our other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And did you know last year there was a major wave of UFO sightings in Canada, and science writer Chris Rutkowski will tell us about it here on the Tech Night Out Live. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the show.
22: Thanks for having me again, Gene.
19: The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted
9: presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.